Welcome to Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. Politics Weekly. This week, I am back with Ludwig von Skype. He is the Communist Party nominee for president in 2020. Von Skype, thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me on, Nolan. I'm glad to be here. So let's get into the first major news story of the week. Everybody talking about this, but Nicholas Cage announcing that he will be running for president. Of course, the beloved Hollywood actor. Uh, who is, of course, considered a frequent Oscar winner, now saying he will step away from Hollywood to focus on his political career. Uh, Von Schaik, what do you think of uh, Nicolas Cage getting into the Democratic primary for president? Well, I don't think that there are quite enough Democrats running, but I agree with this. I think Nicolas Cage is the most qualified person for president outside of myself, and I look forward to seeing him as commander-in-chief. All right, then, why don't we get into the next story? So white supremacist David Duke has officially come out of the closet, Duke revealing on a post on Twitter that he is a homosexual. He has revealed that he is openly gay, um, and this is big news. What are your thoughts? Was it really even that much of a surprise? I suppose not. Let's move on. Anyways, more leaks are coming out from the Mueller report, which Bob Barr refuses to release all of. Right now, we do know some more about Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Apparently, the report is now showing that Elizabeth Warren may be 0.0000000002 Scottish. Your thoughts? I don't know. It really could make her a fierce contender for the White House. Why don't we get to the next major story? So California Senator Kamala Harris now saying that she wants every American citizen to learn Spanish by the year 2023, saying in a speech, quote, it's time we reconcile with our Mexican allies and require every American citizen uh, to... be fluent in Spanish by the year 2023 in order for us to coexist with our Hispanic allies. What are your thoughts on her recommendation? 
Well, I obviously agree with it. As you know, Nolan, uh, I do support uh, requiring every American citizen to learn Spanish uh, by the year 2023. Uh, And may I also say uh, to uh, my Mexican friends, bonjour, we come in peace. All right, and let's get to our final story. You may have heard about the allegations against Joe Biden, uh, but now allegations coming out against Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, two women saying that they made that he made her feel uh, made them feel uh, uncomfortable. Uh, your thoughts? Well, in most cases, I would believe these people at all costs, but I like Bernie Sanders, so I'm going to give him a pass. All right, Ludwig von Skype, thank you for joining me. Make sure to stay tuned next week. April Fools, everybody. All right, everybody, uh, welcome to Election Talk 2020. This is the first Election Talk 2020 uh, we're doing. Um, of course, we're going today we're going to take an early look at uh, some of the elections across the board that are occurring in 2020 and giving our ratings uh, for whether they're likely uh, to flip Republican or Democrat or what. Uh, and joining me uh, today to discuss our predictions is uh, 2018 Democratic candidate for governor, Jack Bergeson. Thank you for joining me, Jack. All right. Um, so, uh, why don't, uh, we talk a little bit about, um, why don't we start with some of the governor's races? Uh, as many of you probably know, um, the governor's races, um, uh, this year in 2019, um, there are three different governor's races. Now you'd think they'd all be, uh, safe for the Republicans since they're in, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Kentucky, all states, both Donald Trump and Mitt Romney carried by landslides in 2016 and 2012. Um, However, they're all expected uh, to be competitive. Uh, Democrat John Bell Edwards um, is hoping uh, to get reelected in uh, in Louisiana. Republicans see a huge opportunity to take him down. Uh, in Kentucky, the incumbent Republican governor, Matt Bevin, is running for a second term, but he has low approval numbers, and no Republican in the uh, governor in the state's history has ever won re-election there. Uh, so for that reason, Democrats see a big target of opportunity to take down Matt Bevin, although there is a little bit of hope uh, that Matt Bevin has that uh, it is a red state, and he thinks that maybe he can hold on uh, because of political gravity. Um, and then uh, Mississippi, which is an open seat, which shouldn't be competitive, um, but one of the the extremely popular uh, Democratic attorney general uh, in Mississippi has said he is running, um, and he is likely to make uh, the race very competitive. Again, he's so popular, um, he hasn't really had a competitive race for attorney general since 2003, which was when he first ran. Um, uh, and then in 2020, uh, there's expected to be a bunch of other uh, uh, governor's races. Uh, some of the most competitive ones are expected to come out of places uh, like Montana, uh, like New Hampshire, um, 
potentially Missouri. Missouri might be competitive. And then there are some other places that might be competitive. Uh, but let's start. Um, what, what are your ratings for the, uh, the 2020 and 2019 governor's races? Indiana is almost certainly to re-elect John Bell Edwards. Early on, I wasn't so sure, um, but with Senator John Kennedy announcing he was not going to be running for the governorship, he was the only person that was shown to even being possible to beat Bell Edwards, who was pretty popular. I think, unless I'm out of the field, out of the loop, candidate comes in and able to really, I mean, he's so popular, there's no real big political, I mean, there's political issues, but it's there's no major tie that since he's working against Governor Edwards, I would be highly shocked that he lost the seat. I think Kentucky is I, I, Kentucky is one I really have a hard time giving trading to, um, because I see how it could go either way. I mean, yeah, in the one case, you know, twenty, you know, I can go back to 2014, and we can look at Kansas when we were expected to have a when we were expected to pick up the the Democrats were expected pick up the Kansas governor race, but we, we lost it three or four points um, to, to the incumbent Governor Brownback. I think it's much harder to win as an incumbent. Um, but again, there's a lot of, now, but now this, this cycle there's a lot more liberal energy. I mean, there's a lot of energy in Kentucky um, to oust that, and I think there's going, it's going to be hard for me to have the base lockdown, but I don't, I mean, I think the voters are going to go heavily towards the Democrat, Democratic candidates seem like they're pretty popular, pretty moderate. I would, you know, I'm going to rate this on a top-up. I think they just don't have enough information um, to rate it. And I think Jim Hood down in Mississippi is by far the best candidate the Democrats could have hoped for. I, I, I think the tide in Mississippi is greater than in Kentucky, as there was, you know, the, the Republicans are viewed in state office, you know, pretty favorably. The incumbent governor who is retiring is not in major scandal on the like, like seven is, so I, mean, I think that one is a Trump Republican. I, I that one could change. I, that could very easily become a Democratic leaning race. I just have to wait until we're closer to November and we can actually start to look at where the numbers are and how the race is going. You know, Jim Hood runs an exceptionally good race. The Republicans nominate some especially far right. Um, I think Jim Hood would have a shot. I mean, it's going to be very close. I think Devin has. I think I think the Democrats in Devin's race have a pretty good shot at. The Democrats have a shot at winning a comfortable victory. Um, or Devin has a shot at narrowly winning this election. I think if the election were held today, I think Devin would lose. Um, particularly to Evan to uh, Andy Bashir. I think he is the, if, if Andy Bashir wins the nomination, I expect it to go to him. Um, but the, I think some of the candidates are quite strong and could, could and Devin could override him the other candidate. Um, all right. Um, so the ratings I have, so I rate, the way I, I rate stuff is I rate stuff as likely RRD, uh, lean RRD, um, Republican wishlist and Democrat wishlist and toss up. So obviously likely means that, um, it's very unlikely to flip. Like there, there are states that are almost impossible to flip. Like a state like Idaho isn't going to flip for a Democrat. Uh, a state like uh, Rhode Island isn't going to flip for a, a Republican. However, um, a state like um, uh, what what lean or what favored uh, RRD means is that it means the Republican or the Democrat is slightly favored there. Um, but there is a, still a shot that 
the other party could pick that up. Uh, and then um, what Republican wish list means or Democratic wish list means is that there are states um, that the party would like to pick up. It's going to be a really, really, really hard time picking up, but they might have a slim chance of picking it up. Um, but in terms of the ratings that I have here, right now I have Louisiana as uh, favored Democratic because I agree with you with what you said. You know, John Bell Edwards is a popular uh, incumbent, um, and John Neely Kennedy was probably the only uh, Republican that had a serious shot uh, of taking him down. Um, and yes, Louisiana is a red state, but we saw in uh, 2018, uh, we saw the opposite with a state like Massachusetts or Vermont uh, and Maryland, all of which were overwhelmingly Democratic states, which both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama carried by landslides in, uh, in 2016 and 2012. However... Um, the Republican governors there uh, won re-election handily because they were very popular there. And I think it's the same thing with Louisiana. I think you're going to see that because John Bell Edwards is most po is extremely popular. I think the last poll that was taken before all the new governors were sworn in after the midterms showed that Bell Edwards was the most popular Democratic governor in America uh, currently. Um, so I think that's going to, uh, help him, um, not out of the question that Republicans could pick this one up, especially since they do have a member of Congress running. Um, but I still think it's going to be pretty hard for Republicans to win here. So for that reason, it's favored Democrat. Um, Mississippi is kind of a hard one. Um, Jim Hood is, uh, very popular there. However, I actually rated this as, favored Republican just because of political gravity and because I think one of the problems I think Democrats lack in Mississippi is infrastructure. Um, I don't think they have a big, a big enough infrastructure in Mississippi, but I do think it will be extremely narrow for Jim Hood or, um, and the Republicans. And I think Jim Hood will come very close, but I think, and I think it's not out of the question uh, at all that Jim Hood could very well uh, take this one home and win. But I think for right now, I have it as favored Republican. But Kentucky, I agree. I think Kentucky is a pure toss-up because Democrats definitely have a good infrastructure in Kentucky, maybe not in the presidential races, but in terms of other statewide races, uh, there are a lot of big names uh, in Kentucky, and Andy Bashir is one of them. Um, again, political gravity could prevail here, um, and it's not going to be certainly easy uh, for Democrats, but I definitely think uh, that Democrats have a real good shot there, which is why uh, it is a toss-up. Um, what are your thoughts on the, uh, the 2020 governor's races? I, I, you know, I have some opinions. I, there's some things that, that it's just too early to
you know, he's not unpopular. He's not necessarily all that popular either. Um, I think he can win re-election if the Democratic nominee either comes very close to carrying or does carry the state of North Carolina. Um, since we saw the last, the um, Hillary Clinton lagged behind and quite a bit, but, uh, but Roy Cooper wasn't feeding an unpopular Republican. That's how he's able to prevail there. I see it being possible that he's able to prevail, but I know Republicans are going to send a lot of money to regain North Carolina. But it's going, North Carolina is going to be the hottest race in 2016. I don't think it's 2020. There is no doubt in mind that it's going to be the most expensive governor's race. Um, and I think Cooper is going to have a hard time, but I think also the national mood in 2020, the way the presidential approval rating is going, I think that, you know, if the Democrats nominate someone who is a appealing to North Carolina voters and is able to, you know, carry the state or come very close, I think, because I could put Cooper over the edge, because especially you can look back at trends in North Carolina, the Democratic nominee is usually for Senate or Governor, usually that's about two to three points better than the presidential candidates. Um, so I think that's for them to watch. I think, I, th- I think Montana could be very interesting. Um, there is... Montana is going to be very interesting in both the governor and senate races. There is one person I would like to see run for one of those offices. I really am a big fan of Wilmot Collins, who is the, fan, who is the mayor of the state capital, Helena. He, is, he has a broad base of appeal. He's a nonpartisan race I mean, for, for mayor of the city. He has appealed to both a lot of Democrats and Republicans. I think he has a lot of statewide interest in the governor or senate race. Um, have a little bit, I think he has a little bit bigger profile than most of the people that are interested in running. Um, there is, I think, most likely he would run as a Democrat, but I have read there is a little speculation he might even try to run as a moderate Republican, um, which I think would be very interesting either way. I think the Democratic race would be easier to go because that's probably a better chance to get in the primary. But I think if he were to run for Senate, or I think especially governor, he would win the governor's race, and I think he could make the Senate race tighter. Uh, New Hampshire, I don't see slipping in 2020. Um, I mean, Governor Sununu is not all that pop. It's not, you know, vaguely popular. Um, he was able to get re-elected fairly comfortably in 2018, which was a Democratic year. I, I think in some of the New England states, you know, partisan politics doesn't play, you know, is very different than how they vote at the state level and how they vote at the presidential level. I, I don't see him being in much trouble unless a particularly strong candidate comes out of the field. He is, I mean, New Hampshire tends to, I think, works, Sununu is likely um, to win the election. I think Missouri, um, they have their, I don't remember the guy's name, um, the, the, the interim governor who took over at the right. Parson, Mike, Mike Parson. Yep, there we go. Sorry, I think we were saying. <laughs> I think, you know, I haven't heard much about him. You know, from what I can tell, he's vaguely inoffensive to everybody. You know, he's not like a firebrand like Brighton was before he got the scandal. Um, I think, you know, he should be able to hold together the increasingly conservative Missouri. Um, you know, some high-profile person like Jason Kander or something like that would come out of the come out of the woodworks to make a, to make a run at it. Um, Missouri politics is a map. I, I, you know, I live right across the state. I, Missouri, they won't say over, and I always like that. Is that of Kansas politics sometimes I'm glad I spent a little in Missouri. Um, I it, you know, I think someone could run on an anti corruption platform and win in Missouri. Um, so we, you know, 
from what Jason Sander, I think, would be about the only way the Democrats would even have a chance. I mean, that's unlikely. I mean, you might as well take a public state there. It's hard for me to hold on, in my opinion, more than likely. West Virginia, um, I have, a, I have a, I do have a fantasy about this race. Um, in my, you know, I would love to see, uh, you know, Richard Ojeda, who ran for the third district Congress in West Virginia. I think if he were to make a run at the governorship, I think he could make a pretty competitive race with justice. Um, I don't think he could win because I think um, he should be, you know, the deep pocket, the deep, deep pocket that justice has, you know, being a oil, uh, being a coal billionaire, I just think it'd be too hard to overcome, but I think someone like Richard Ojeda would be the only way Democrats could even have a could even have a respectable chance of winning, and I think he could really help, you know, someone like that running, you know, very against the coalition. I would think it could really help bring awareness to a lot of issues. And, you know, I think an upset victory would not be out of the question. Again, I think that's likely. I don't see that going. Um, the Democrats, but I think if someone's a firebrand, you know, you know, someone who appeals to the working class members of West Virginia, you know, kind of bring back, bring back the old West Virginia. Uh, with some more modern uh, politics, I think that get to that in a second um but let me tell you what uh i had down for the governor's races so right now 
the likely Republican states, which are almost impossible to flip, I had down as U as Utah, um, uh, open seat, uh, North Dakota, Doug Burgum, and Indiana, Eric Holcomb. Um, I agree. I really don't see Eric, anybody beating Eric Holcomb. And plus, I think that Eric Holcomb, I think the other thing about Eric Holcomb is that he has very good approval ratings, um, to my knowledge. So it's going to be very hard to see him beat, beating him, especially with the incumbency on his side. Um, in terms of favored Republicans, uh, I have, um, uh, um, right now I have uh, Missouri Mike Parson uh, and New Hampshire Chris Sununu. I don't think it's out of the question that Chris Sununu uh, could lose because... Uh, keep in mind, in 2018, the polls did show he was going to win by, like, 25 points, and he won by 7 points. So it's not out of the question that uh, a Democrat could beat uh, Chris Sununu. However, I do think uh, it's more likely that Chris Sununu will win uh, due to his uh, solid approval numbers. Um, and then in terms of the Republican wishlist states, these are, of course, states currently... Uh, very, very unlikely, uh, to flip, um, but for whatever reason, Republicans might have a slim chance in these states. Um, one of them is North Carolina. I think it's very, very unlikely that Republicans are going to be able to, to pick up North Carolina just because of the political infrastructure Roy Cooper has built for himself in North Carolina. He's won every election for the past 20 to 30 years. Um, and plus, um, Roy Cooper also, plus Dan Forrest, who is, uh, the lieutenant governor who's expected to run, um, I don't see him, uh, defeating Roy Cooper. I think he's a very weak candidate. So I expect, even if Donald Trump wins North Carolina in the presidential race, I still expect Roy Cooper, uh, to uh, win by at least double digits due to his name recognition uh, around the... Really, I mean, you don't think the spending in that race is going to be absolutely obscene and undercut a lot of his positive name recognition and political infrastructure? Um, I, I think that I think the amount of money the Republicans are going to spend on negative advertising... Yeah. And, they, and I, I think it's going to be... I mean, I think he might be able to win. I just I don't think being double digits like his... Like his, like his well, you, you, yeah. Well, you could be right, um, but I, I do. I mean, if he wins, it's going to be five points and under. I don't see that race being five points in either direction. I mean, it's going to be within five points in either direction. Yeah, but at the same time, if you look at Michigan, um, Republicans did spend a lot of money in the Michigan governor's race uh, in 2018, um, and they lost by like ten points, which was much. I mean, more than expected. I mean, Michigan is a pretty standard Democratic state. Yes, it went for Trump, but it has been pretty much a Democratic state, at least at heart. Yeah. So, since past, since we got to Reagan. So I, I don't, I mean, unlike North Carolina, who yeah. has been a Democratic state since, uh, since we got to Reagan. Or is it a Republican state since uh, after 76? Um, and they can go for both sides. I, I, I think Cooper might be able to win, but it's definitely going to be a very yeah. It's going to be the race where I'll sit up watching at one a.m. Yeah. Um, but also, like, if you look at the Senate race, there was much less money that was poured into the Senate race, and John James came much closer to winning than 
the Republican in the Attorney General in the uh, governor's race to to coming to, uh, to winning the governor's race. And I think Dan Forrest, the problem is Dan Forrest is a guy who's known to have a lot of gaffes. He's really a pretty weak candidate. Um, and uh, I don't know. Um, we'll see. Um, and then the other Republican wish list state. Now, I almost put this in the likely Democratic column because this is such an overwhelmingly blue state. But I did put Washington in the Republican wish list state just for one reason. Because with Jay Inslee running for president, there is there is a slim chance that he may not run for a third term. And if he doesn't run for a third term, there's a chance Washington might be competitive. Because there have been elections in the past, uh, gubernatorial elections in the past, where Republicans have come close to picking up Washington. Um, in 2012, when Barack Obama won Washington by a landslide, Jay Inslee only barely won, but he also wasn't the incumbent. In 2016, he was the incumbent, and he won by a significant margin. And frankly, if Roy Cooper, or if Jay Inslee were to announce tomorrow that he was dropping out of the presidential race and he was running for a third term as governor, um, I think he would... I, I think this would no longer be even slightly competitive. Um, but because there's a chance that um, he might not run for a third term, uh, and if he doesn't run for a third term, I think there's also a chance that the Secretary of State of Washington, who's a Republican, who's also pretty popular, might run. That might give Republicans a chance for this to be competitive, but I still find that uh, very unlikely, which is why it's in the, the wish list column. Um, but in terms of the likely Democratic states, I have one, and that's Delaware, uh, John Carney. I see no way that Delaware flips because it's it's Delaware. It's overwhelmingly blue. Um, and then uh, in terms of the Democratic wish list states, um, I have... West Virginia, Jim Justice, and Vermont, Phil Scott. Um, so I think we're pretty much in agreement on that, that Democrats might be able to pick those ones up. But again, there needs to be a certain type of candidate that runs in each of the two races. Um, and then I had one toss-up, and that is Montana, which is, of course, an open seat. Um this one should be an, a great opportunity for Republicans, but the problem is they could screw this one up. And if they get a bad candidate, which they've been known to do in past races, especially in Montana, this could uh, mix up their chances of winning in Montana. Um, now, Donald Trump being at the top of the ticket could help uh, whichever Republican runs in Montana for governor. Um uh, because I, I nobody believes that Montana is going to flip for the Democrat in the president in the presidential race, um, and we did see in 2016 outside of the governor's race, uh, all the other um, races down ballot went to Republicans, and most people think that was because of Trump. And it should be noted that the governor's race, which was the only race statewide Democrats won in Montana in 2016 was also the only state where there was was only was also the only race where there was an incumbent running. Um 
all the other races were open and that helped the Republicans. And since this might be open, this might help Republicans. However, uh, Democrats have a lot of a good infrastructure there. And if they run a good candidate, they could really, they could hold on to this uh, seat. I know Mike Cooney is thinking, the Lieutenant governor is thinking about running. Um, and Brian Schweitzer, the former governor might even run too. So don't count Democrats out of this one, uh, just yet. I think this one could easily go either way. And for that reason, I'm listing Montana in the open, uh, or I'm listing it as a toss up, but let's get to the Senate. You wanted to talk about the Senate. So go right ahead and start talking about the Senate. I think the Senate presents a lot of pickup opportunities, especially for Democrats. There's not a lot of really good, and the only pickup opportunities I really see for Democrats for Republicans are in is in Michigan. I think that is potentially a pickup for Republicans there. John James runs against you, ran a good race. I think Gary Peters is more beatable than Debbie Stabenow. But I think, you know, the, you know just the, this year... I expect Michigan to go blue in the presidential election if, we, if the Democrats run a half-decent candidate. Um, so I think that could be very hard to overcome, but it's not impossible. I think that would definitely be something that, um, that you know, that's gonna, that could be in a close race. Um, like in Montana, it all depends on who runs. I think Steve Daines, you know, he's not unpopular. I think it's going to be a harder battle than the governor's race. But again, if, it, if there's a good gubernatorial candidate running, and if Montana, for some some reason or another, is closer than expected in the presidential election, I think that one could flip. Um, I think I do expect Arizona to flip because I think Mark Kelly would be the nominee. Um, and Arizona Republicans have been running a bunch of far right. You know, we've seen that 2018 as much mixed Valley, and I think Gerald Parma is running against those. I think Arizona is going to be a very good, because Mark Kelly can appeal to a lot of different cross-section of voters. And, if, you know, I think Mark McSally said she was running again. You know, she obviously, you know, alienated a lot of more moderate voters. I think it's going to be a hard job to keep that seat Republican. They're going to try. It's going to be very narrow. I do. I'm going to, I'm, I'm putting that in wing Democrat at this point. Um, especially because I think that race is going to be competitive enough in the general election. That if Mark Kelly can outperform Trump by just two, can outperform the Democratic nominee in Arizona by two or three points, I think chances are she could have a victory very easily. I do expect Alabama to flip um, to the Republicans. I don't see Doug Jones holding on. I think he's going to fight for dear life. I don't expect him to hold on. Um, Kansas, I, I love, you know, my home state. I am deeply excited about this race. Not because of political junkie, but also as a local Democrat. Um, I can tell you based on who I know is going to run on both sides, it is going to be a fact. This is going to be one of the more fascinating races in 2020. Um, the Kansas Senate President, Susan Wagle, who has some background, is a far right. She, she is moderate Republicans, even the legislature don't like her. I, she, but she you know, is friendly with the coach. She's going to be able to get the funding. Um, it's going to be a nasty war. Um, there's numerous Chris Kobach might run, but I don't think he will if she does, and she's likely to. Um, um, State Treasurer um, Jay, uh, Jake Letourner, so he's going to give him a moderate option to her to um, uh, Wagle. 
So I think, you know, I think this, again, we're going we're gonna to have another more moderate versus uh, far-right primary, which we've learned in Kansas. That is war. That is war. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, chances are Reagan would come out narrowly on top again, like Kobach did in the gubernatorial race, um, which, will, um, which will give the Democrats an opportunity like they had in the governor's race. And uh, we do, we are looking, um, there's a strong candidate in former uh, district court uh, district court judge um, Barry Grisham, who was uh, who was a uh, district court judge under Obama, um, he's he's um, I think especially we've had some national issues in the state party recently, but he is he's left wing enough on the issues to placate the left, but he's also he's able to placate the more established wing of the party. I think the party will be able to work in a more cohesive faction, will be able to unite around him very easily. Um, even easier than we call it on Kelly, um, which sort of a little hard for some people. Uh, we all came together, but I think this race is going to be, at the very least, for the loss, but I think this is the best, one of the best outside opportunities for Democrats um, to pick up the Senate race in Kansas. I, again, I, I have a, you know, Iowa's a little more different because it's not an open seat, um, but I think uh, Senator Ernst is potentially very vulnerable. I think she could win re-election easily. It depends on her candidate. Um, I've read a few things about potential candidates. Um, trying to think of... Someone gave me a couple names, but I did seem promising. One of them is J.D. Shelton, who almost unseated Steve King in 2018. I think he would be a very... She's a very strong campaigner. She made a race that was not expected to be close, very close. Um, there's also uh, the cited Jeff Sturgis, for the first district congressman, who's been, if he's very popular, I think he would have a chance at winning the seat. Um, so I think Democrats have a couple viable options there to pick up the seat. Um, but if they pick up someone that isn't exciting or isn't a particularly good candidate, I, I do think she would be able to narrowly hold on. Um, what about Rob Sand? Because I'm hearing that Rob Sand, Rob Sand would be an okay. I'm going to say this in a couple about a couple other. Rob Sand is in a category I call, I wish you hadn't just gotten elected, because he just started his term. It would look very immature if you were to start running for Senate, even mm. though I would love it, because he would be a good candidate and he's well-liked. Um, same thing goes for, I think, Garrett Polis, that have a little bit less of a problem in Colorado. He wanted to run for Cory Gardner's seat, only because he was a congressman before he was governor, but I think it would still look, be a bad look. Um, but those are two candidates that I wish could run for Senate. Um, and I think will in the future, especially, uh, but yeah, especially Rob Sand, he has thoughts. Uh, maybe not, and I think when Grassley retires, I think that's, that's what he, he wants to see Grassley retires. Um, he wants to have a fantasy. Um, I think Georgia, again, what we saw was, I think, with the, the fact that the Republicans still have the control on the voting system, and I think what we saw with the election rigging in 2018, I don't see this being possible, even if the majority of the people were to vote against, uh, were, were to vote for a Democrat. I don't think the, the vote tab would come out that way. I, I do think that um, there's just too much to fix in the Georgia election infrastructure um, to be fixed before. Um, I, I think that's going to be a mess. Again, I think it's going to be a close race, and I think the Republicans are going to pull shenanigans like they did in the governor's race. Um, I think in South Carolina, I think. This is a race I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll call it lean Republican. Um, but I think what I'm seeing is, I think 
think Jamie Harrison is going to make the race a lot closer than Lindsey Graham is used to. Um, I think it's going to be a nail-biter of the Democrats. We're going to see signs of real trouble winning at South Carolina's Senate race. But I think Lindsey Graham's long-term uh, incumbency is going to fall out. But I think it's definitely going to be a much closer race than it is traditionally. Um, I don't see Virginia being particularly competitive. I don't see West Virginia being competitive, but again, if, if a you know, really firebrand candidate were to run, I think West Virginia, I think some of the places in the, in the country right now, you know, why Trump got elected is because he was speaking to an anger, but I think some people are starting to think that he may not necessarily be acting the way they expected him to and be delivering what they were promised. I think some firebrand, um, you know, maybe more socially conservative, but economically populist candidate could have a chance of winning in a like West Virginia. I think Kentucky, you know, you might call it a, I don't know if you call it a wish list debate. I'm going to lean it likely Republican, but I think watch. I'm going to start, you know, right now I'm going to call it likely for now, but I might come back to it in a year. Um, I think this could very easily be one of the most important races in 2020. McConnell's rating is in the gutter. If Amy McGrath runs, I think that would be a great select. And, and it's not, and you know, one day I'm looking at back in you know back in the past a little bit. In 2004, uh, Bush won Kentucky by 20 points. Mitch McConnell won re-election by like 24 percent. It was like really tight. Um, so he's known for occasionally having a close election. And I, I think this could be another situation like that. I you know again what is you know how you know how well the Trump are performing in Kentucky. You know what are the turnout numbers? I think that that can be. And I think that. Republicans have a lot of just 
there's a lot of power to hang on to like LeBron's only team, even though it's a great candidate. So I think we just need to we kind of need to sit back and watch this race. Um, but I think it's one that, that, that the Democrats have a real shot at, and the Republicans need to add in the courts that Republicans are concerned. So I think, again, um, I have done a little calculation here. I think that includes something like Texas, um, but doesn't include clips like Montana. Um, and also the Maine, I do not think, I do think Susan Collins will lose re-election. I think she has, Maine is a pretty moderate state, but I think for people, I think the people that have voted for her for many years are starting to become more comfortable with her. I think she's going to have a, they have raised a lot of money to go against her. There's a cluster of Maine Democrats who uh, could be able to take on the race, and I think it's possible, Colin Polk, that I do expect that state to flip. Um, so with that, um, and just because I'm including, um, right now, the way I have the map, it's a 62 Democrats, 48 Republicans to be the Senate, if you, and just to be nice, if you pick up Kansas and you take out Texas to have a 50-50 Senate, or that includes Iowa, though, let's take out Iowa. Um, so best case scenario really for Republicans, in my opinion, is 51-49. Um, then if you give the Democrats a victory in Texas, or you give them a victory in Kansas, we get a tight Senate. But chances are we'll be able to pull off. I think, you know, chances, you know, I have states like North Carolina rated, you know, Western Republican or Montana. I think we'll be able to pull off at least one of them. So I expect a fair Democratic majority going into the uh, 2021-2023 government. Um, even if Donald Trump is re-elected, I think there is enough outside force We've seen split ticket voting kind of come back a little bit. We thought it could sort of die down, but I think there's more interest in it now um, than there ever has been. And I think there are people that do are diehard some people, but that are also going to vote for Democrats on the state level. And I mean, we've seen it here in Kansas with um, Warren Kelly um, ushered into the governorship and destroying Trump Republicans with Kobach. So I think there's a lot of people are in the Constitution who are a little more interested in bipartisanship, I think we, I think there's a real chance, especially with some of the candidates turning. I think that at the very least, the Democrat, the Republican majority will be winnowed um, unless there is a Republican landslide, which I don't see coming with the current political turn. All right. So here's what um, I have. So right now, all the likely Republican states, which are very unlikely uh, to flip, Include uh, Wyoming, Mike Enzi, Oklahoma, James Inhofe, Nebraska, Ben Sass, Louisiana, Bill Cassidy, Alaska, Dan Sullivan, Idaho, Jim Risch, um, South Dakota, Mike Rounds, West Virginia, Shelley Moore Capito, South Carolina, Lindsey Graham, Arkansas, C- Tom Cotton, Tennessee, and Tennessee uh, Open. Um, favored Republican states include. Uh, uh, Maine, Susan Collins, Iowa, Joni Ernst, uh, Georgia, David Perdue, and Alabama, Doug Jones. Of course, this would be a flip. Um, and then, uh, the Republican wish list states include Virginia, Mark Warner, and New Mexico open. Um, the likely Democratic states, which are almost impossible to flip, include, uh, New Jersey, Cory Booker, Massachusetts, Ed Markey, Delaware, Chris Coons, um, Illinois, Dick Durbin, Oregon, Jeff Merkley, 
and Rhode Island uh, Jack Reed. The favored Democratic states include Michigan, Gary Peters, New Hampshire, Janine Shaheen, and Minnesota, Tina Smith, and Colorado, Cory Gardner. Of course, that would be a flip. And the Democratic wish list states include uh, Texas, John Cornyn, Mississippi, Cindy Hyde-Smith, Montana, Steve Daines, Kentucky, Mitch McConnell, and Kansas Open. And then the toss-up races include uh, Arizona, Martha McSally, Republican, and North Carolina, Tom Tillis, uh, Republican. So a lot of my reason... I just realized I made a mistake. What? I just realized I was taking my uh, analysis of the Arizona race. I referred to... Um... I think at this point he will be the nominee because Ruben Gallego um, did say um, that, uh, or Ruben Gallego did say he's not running. Uh, we also know that uh, Woods, the former, uh, Grant Woods, the former Republican Attorney General who became a Democrat, um, also said he's not running. Of course, we don't know if Greg Stanton, the former Phoenix mayor, and Congress and freshman congressman is running, but I doubt he is going to run. Um, at one point, uh, I remember some Republicans were hoping it would be a crowded race that Gallego and Woods and Kelly um, and Stanton would all run, and then McSally would have an easy primary, and then that would help McSally divide and conquer. But now I kind of think that. Kelly is probably, they're just going to probably all step aside for Kelly. And I think Kelly is a good candidate. Um, I think um, he might struggle a little bit with the issue of guns because I think it's expected because he's married to Gabby Giffords that he's probably going to make gun control a big issue of the campaign. Um, and in, in in Arizona, they, there are a lot of big Second Amendment voters in Arizona, so that might not help him, uh, but he is an attractive candidate. The only other thing I will say, though, that you, we should watch is who's going to win Arizona in the 2020 presidential race, because um, I think that's a toss-up in the presidential race. Um, I think if Donald Trump carries it, I think down-ballot voting uh, could help McSally narrowly edge out a victory um, in Arizona. And, um, I think though, if the Democrat gets it, I think, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kelly is very likely, uh, to win. Um, also North Carolina, I know some people have it as favored Republican. I have it as favored, um, or I have it as a toss up because it is North Carolina. Um, North Carolina is a purplish state. I suppose, you know, it did go for Trump and Romney narrowly, and Tillis is the incumbent. But at the same time, Tillis's approval rating is very meh. It's not terrible, but it's not great. There's actually one approval 
There was one poll that came out that showed he had a 47% approval rating and a 47% disapproval rating. Um, but I think he might have a problem with, uh, or he, I think he might have a problem with the base because he's known to be not a very pro-Trump senator. Um, and he's already gotten a primary challenger who I don't think will win the nomination, but could make it slightly competitive. Um, and that could hurt him in North Carolina. But I still do think that if Trump carries North Carolina in 2020, and I do think he's slightly favored to win North Carolina, then I do believe that um, Tillis should be able uh, to hold on. Um, in terms of the Democratic wish list, I think Texas, I think the thing is John Cornyn is a lot, he's a, he's a better candidate than Ted Cruz is. Uh, a much better candidate than Ted Cruz is. Um, I think he will have a, he, he could have a somewhat competitive race um, if Joaquin Castro chooses to run. Uh, sorry, what were you going to say? Um, that's all right. Um, I think Beto O'Rourke, if Beto O'Rourke ran, announced he was going to run again, this could have been a real nail biter. But as we all know, Beto O'Rourke is running for president. Cindy Hyde-Smith, I think, could have a competitive race in Mississippi. Um, it, of course, she did have a competitive race in 2018. And I am hearing reports that Mike Espy is uh, considering another run for the Senate. So this isn't certainly is not a race to write off immediately, but it is still Mississippi. And if and I, I, nobody expects Donald Trump to lose Mississippi in the 2020 election. That should help. Cindy Hyde-Smith, uh, eventually. Uh, Montana, Steve Daines. Um, really, I think at this point, if Brian Sch uh, Schweitzer doesn't run, um, then I don't see uh, anybody, any Democrat beating Steve Daines. Um, I think um, Steve Bullock might have had a chance, but Steve Bullock is now saying he doesn't want it. So I think unless Brian Schweitzer runs, which... I think might be unlikely just because he's been out of the political limelight for a while. Then I think this should this should be uh, this should go to Steve Daines, and then Kentucky Mitch McConnell. But you're right, Mitch McConnell does have terrible approval ratings, and we do need to see if Amy McGrath does run or not. Because if she does run, this has the potential to be a real nail biter. Um, it could be almost like a Texas 2018. Beto O'Rourke type of scenario, but it is Kentucky. Um, there have been some close Senate races, but ultimately there hasn't been a Democratic senator in Kentucky since the 1990s. Um, and I do think Mitch McConnell, I mean, he can raise a lot of money. He does a good job of raising a lot of money. And Trump is probably going to win the state by a landslide. Down ballot voting should benefit McConnell. Um, in terms of the favored Democratic states, Michigan, I uh, I agree. John James could make this one close. Sorry, we're good. Is my microphone acting up again? I no, I can hear you just fine. No, but I, I think I, I get something to something I want to talk right now. Okay. But anyways, um, so yeah, so Michigan, I think, I think that Gary Peters. Um, I think he's probably, he has the advantage here. 
um, because, as you said, the Democrats probably going to win Michigan. And Gary Peters is a pretty good candidate um, because, um, if you remember, Gary Peters in 2014, when it was a uh, a Republican wave year, Gary Peters was not only the only Democrat to win an open race um, in the 28 or an open Senate race in the 2018 midterms, but he was also the only, um, he also won by 14 points, which was a much bigger than expected margin in a Republican wave year. Um, so that should help him. Um, but again, John James, he, he was also running against a, a not so great candidate um, in 2014. And John James, if he chooses to run, he's a pretty good candidate. Um, and this could be a real nail biter, especially if Republicans pour more money into this race than they did in the 2018 Senate race between Stabenow and James. Um, New Hampshire, Janine Shaheen, again, um, this is New Hampshire. He should, uh, she should, you know, New Hampshire is a purple state, but, um, Republicans probably aren't going to win here. Um, just because Janine Shaheen is a popular incumbent, um, really the only, there are only two candidates I could see, um, making this race. Well, there's three candidates I could see making this race competitive, potentially, um, maybe Scott Brown, but that's really unlikely since he's, uh, currently serving as ambassador to New Zealand. Um, uh, there's also maybe Kelly Ayotte, although I am hearing that her um, her team is saying a lot of people that work for her are saying that she's she has a job in the pri- in the pub in the private sector and she is unlikely to run for political office in 2020. Although she might uh, challenge Maggie Hassan to a rematch in 2022. Um, but aside from that, the only other one I could see potentially really making this one a nail biter is Chris Sununu, the sitting governor, and he says he doesn't want it. Uh, so um, for that reason, again, Republicans might have a chance in New Hampshire, but right now it's looking really good for Janine Shaheen. Um, and then in Minnesota, Tina Smith, again, uh, Republicans um, do, again, Republicans have seen a big up. Op- target of opportunity in Minnesota. They do see, for the past couple of years, they have seen opportunities uh, to make gains in Minnesota, but they did not do very well in the 2018 midterms in Minnesota. And if uh, Donald Trump, you know, if Democrats win Minnesota, it's very unlikely that they're going to get this one. But don't rule it out for Republicans yet. There are still some candidates that could run that could win. They did get a very weak candidate in 2018. If they get a better candidate, they might be able to uh, make this race a little bit closer than they did uh, in the 2018 election. And if it's narrow, I do think Democrats are favored in Minnesota, but if it is narrow in Minnesota in 2020, like it was in the 2016 election, then that could make this race a lot closer, Minnesota a lot closer for the Republican that runs. But right now, Tina Smith is favored. And Colorado, Colorado is just moving more and more safely uh, into the Democratic column. And Cory Gardner isn't a popular incumbent. 
and he can't even appeal to the base, frankly. Um, he's really an out-of-touch senator, so for that reason, he is favored to lose in Colorado. Um, and then in terms of the uh, Republican wish list, New Mexico, it's pretty much a blue state, but it's not 100% a blue state. Overall, the Democrats should hold on to this one, but Republicans might might come close. Um, I know that um, the one person who ran in 2012 did very well in spite of how well Obama did in the uh, in the uh, New Mexico uh, in New Mexico in 2012. However, I do think that uh, Democrats overall will probably come on top. Um, this one, very unlikely to flip, but Republicans do have a small target of opportunity. Again, same thing with Virginia. I think Republicans have a very small target of opportunity here. But at the same time, Mark Warner only won by a point in 2014, um, which indicates he may be a weaker incumbent than Tim Kaine. Um, and uh, in terms of the favored Republican states, Alabama, Doug Jones... I don't see a way that um, I, I don't see much of a way Doug Jones can hold on here. Um, I, he he did win. I think the the thing about the special election is funky, weird things tend to happen during special elections, um, and um, this isn't going to be a special election. I think that's probably why Doug Jones got in in the first place, um, but that shouldn't help. Um, Doug Jones in 2020. Um, keep in mind, Doug Jones ran against uh, the most, probably the most, probably the worst candidate Republicans could have possibly uh, ran uh, in the special election in 2017. Um, however, um, even then, Doug Jones only won by two points against uh, a potential child molester. Um, so uh, I think this one is, pro is pretty unlikely to stay in Doug Jones's favor, especially with Donald Trump at the top of the ticket. Uh, in terms of Georgia, uh, in 2018, we saw that Republicans did win most of the state. They went, I think they won all the statewide races in Georgia in 2018, but they did come close um, to losing um, many of the, the key uh, statewide races in Georgia in 2018. Um, so for this reason, it's favored for the Republicans, but don't count the Democrats out. And, we, and let's keep an eye on Stacey Abrams because she might run again. Um, she also might run for president, but I'm hearing conflicting reports about whether she's going to run for Senate or for president. So keep an eye on that. As for Iowa, I have that as slightly favored for the Republican. I think that Democrat, Democrats might have a chance here, especially since they did very well in the congressional races in 2018. Um, however, Joni Ernst is a pretty strong candidate. Um, she, um, she's very good at bringing the pork home. Uh, no pun intended. Um, but I, I think she can raise a lot of money. Um, and for that reason, it's going to be very hard to beat her. Um, and I think Trump is slightly favored to win Iowa in 2020. So that should help um, Joni Ernst. And Maine, I actually do have his favored Republican. Um, I, I do understand the Democrats have a lot better infrastructure. They essentially have a two-to-one infrastructure. 
uh, over Republicans in New England. However, uh, one of the things about uh, Susan Collins that we saw is that after the Kavanaugh hearings, her approval rating actually didn't go down. Uh, it actually pretty much stayed the same, and she does have a popular uh, – she is mostly popular – um, but, um, and we, and right now there were polls that actually came out, um, that showed, um, she was leading, uh, Sarah Gideon, uh, a potential candidate and Susan Rice by landslides. Um, and if that's the case, um, then I would expect Susan Collins, uh, to win reelection. And then the other problem I think Democrats have in that race is what are they going to, I mean, they have to find something else to campaign on other than just Kavanaugh. Um, so Kavanaugh, I think, definitely is something they could use. Um, but I think overall, I think uh, Susan Collins is a well-known, popular incumbent in Maine, and I think that should help her win re-election. However, um, I do think that um, this one, this election is going to be a lot tougher for Susan Collins. Um, Elizabeth Warren, I think she's, she has a long road to the nomination. I don't see it, but if she were to be the nominee, I think she's going to be able to appeal to the liberal base. But again, like Andrew Yang, you know, she's, she's campaigning more on reformative capitalism rather than you know being a little more, even though policy-wise, she's pretty close to Sanders. You know, she uses a little bit more friendly terms that might sound more appealing to conservatives. Um, so I think Warren, even though she's not a fierce campaigner, I think that's why she's down on my list, but I still think she could win. And I think Amy Klobuchar, Amy Klobuchar is the only real centrist I have on my list that I think could win. Um, even though I think that she's uninspiring to the base, I think she could pull off a victory by upsetting the industrial Midwest. I think her victory is a lot closer than everybody else's. I don't see her picking up Texas or Arizona or even Florida necessarily, but I think she could win just enough states by winning by winning back Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio. Um, I, I think, and I think Pete Buttigieg is the same thing, but he would have a little bit more appeal outside of the Midwest, but I think he would have a little bit more um, base appeal, um, which would ensure that we, um, I think we have a little bit better chance with him. Um, okay, those are my candidates, but I really think I'm shot. Again, I think there's, I think, but I think the nomination, what I'm seeing right now, just on the just on the road to Milwaukee, I see Bernie Sanders is. I, I'm excluding Biden from this right now because he is not announced. Um, Biden is the front. Um, I just Bernie Sanders is the front runner. Just based on everything from just grassroots support to, I mean, I think the grassroots support is definitely underground. Then once we start getting people knocking doors, making calls in Iowa and New Hampshire, I think we're really going to see this number two direction. I, I just think he, at least, taps something. I really think he's going to more than likely win a good majority of the early primaries, and he will be seen as a force. Um, I think, and I think, um, I mean, we've seen a lot of, we've seen Yang and Buttigieg rise recently, especially Buttigieg, but Yang is steadily rising. Um, I expect once he's in the debate, I do expect there to be a big, inter- a big uh, interest for him, and I expect him to catapult into the top tier. Um, Warren, it's a shame that she's um, kind of stagnating. I was hoping she was going to be a very popular candidate, but she's not, and I, I think now she's probably angling for labor secretary or something like that. 
Um, Kamala Harris, we've seen she has struggled to connect with the base. I mean, there are, of course, she's getting a lot of the Hillary Clinton donors and they could be warned is not necessarily a good thing. I don't think, you know, I think, I think if Kamala Harris is nominee, it's going to be a repeat of Hillary Clinton. I think the same, um, she's appealing to the same primary voters. Not going to gain a lot more voters. I mean, I think there are just some people who hate Donald Trump enough, maybe, and they didn't hate him in 2016. But I don't, I don't see Kamala Harris winning the presidential election. They might be a little bit closer than it was 2016, but I don't see it being close. Um, but I also, I think she's, she's going to be in the top five of candidates. I think right now for the nomination, the top five votes without Biden is Bernie Sanders, Andrew Yang, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris. And whatever, um, top right other person that's going to be in the top five. Um, um, I forgot have this all figured out. Um, 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 I'm just trying to make sure I say this. Um, how's it going to be? But those are definitely top four names that are going to be uh, in some of the big ups. I think those are going to be the bigger players we'll see it later on the primary season. I don't, you know, it's a, you know, there's even some more candidates who are being more progressive that I don't see um, catching on. Gillibrand is not catching on. I mean, Klobuchar, well, I think he would win as well, is not catching on. Um, uh, really, we're, I mean, we're seeing who's gaining more and who's losing it, um, even very early on. I mean, very hard early on the game, but I think there's so many candidates in this race. We're going to have candidates. Uh, we're going to have. We're, I mean, we're going to have quite a few candidates dropping out um, before the debate. Um, before the, before voting begins, um, there are all some interesting candidates. Um, I admit I actually have met one of them. I did meet Eric Swalwell when he came to speak to the Kansas Young Democrats. Um, he seems like a nice guy. Not 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 anywhere near my first choice, but I think he's going to be an interesting candidate. Um, I really am appreciative to Jay Inslee for running and really him on the issue of climate change, even though he has no chance of winning the nomination. Um, so I think there are some interesting candidates out there that are really on the peripheral, but I think we all need to pay attention to. Um, I think the debates are going to be an interesting time. I think that I think after the first couple of debates, I will be I will be able to come back and say I know I, I think I will know who the nominee will be after the first couple of debates, and that's and gauging public reaction to those debates and you know who the polls they want and stuff like that. Right now, I'm really speculating based on numbers and based on you know social media and based on what the enthusiasm seems to be, um, and you know who's getting what types of money. Even though mm-hmm. people like Beto, and I think Beto's going to the wild. I don't think he's going to be in. A, I think two two months from now, he's going to don't going to care about that campaign. Um, a lot of shady stuff going on in that race. I, I don't see him. Um, if he decides to stay in past five, well, I don't see him. I don't see him lasting too long. Um, so yeah, but there's a lot of interesting races, but I really don't. I think there's going to be about four or five top vote getters that are going to be really playing a role. I think based on how many candidates, and it depends on how long stays in though. I think 2020 Milwaukee DNC. I'm worried it could be a little bit of a repeat of the 1960 Chicago convention. I think we're going to be there's a good chance of walking into a contested convention, and I that would be not a fun time. Yeah. Um, but I think if that happens, I'm certainly, regardless of who we nominate, maybe exclude Bernie Sanders, the Republicans will win. Um, I think Bernie Sanders would be able to overcome it with his with just his grassroots um, and activist base. But um, I think people around that would provide 
um, Trump just rose from normalcy, and you know people were doing the Democrats job down crazy. Um, I think that's what would happen more than likely if we go into the convention. Because I know that was a war. All right. Do you want me to? Well, here's what uh, my uh, my map looks like. So for my electoral map, um, so right now uh, the electoral map I have uh, includes Alaska, Utah, Idaho, Montana, uh, uh, Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska's at-large district, as well as the first and third district, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas. Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, um, Kentucky, uh, Indiana, West Virginia, and South Carolina is likely Republican. They're very, they're almost impossible to flip. Uh, right now, um, uh, the um, Nebraska's second congressional district, as well as Maine's second congressional district, as well as North Carolina, Iowa, and Florida are all favored uh, for the Republicans. Um, as for um, the uh, for Republican wish list states, there are two, uh, Colorado and Virginia, very unlikely to flip, um, but they were close in 2016, so who knows. Um, and then um, uh, in terms of favored Democratic states, I have Nevada, Minnesota, uh, Michigan, which would, of course, be a flip, um, uh, and uh, New Hampshire. Uh, and then also Maine's at-large district is slightly favored. In terms of toss-ups, uh, there's three. Uh, Alabama, or no, sorry, not Alabama. Uh, Arizona, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. And in terms of likely Democratic states, there's California, Hawaii, uh, Oregon, Washington, uh, New Mexico, uh, Illinois, New York, Vermont, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware, uh, Minnesota, the District of Columbia, and Maine's first congressional district. So if you if if I'm right, then that would leave Donald Trump at 249 electoral votes and generic Democrat at 248 electoral votes. Um, anything you agree or disagree with? Oh, and one thing, one, o- one other thing that I wanted to mention. The three Democratic wish list states are uh, Texas, Oregon, or sorry, Texas, Ohio, and Georgia. Sorry, continue. I actually disagree. I think Ohio is going to be closer to the top of the state. I do get the argument that it's moving a little too far gone. And I think it depends on the nominee. If the nominee is someone more populist, populist like Sanders, I think it'll be much more closer to the top. But, but if we nominate someone more established, I think that will easily go to Trump. I just think that depends on yeah. the nominee. That's why I'm having a, I think I will not be able to rate state effectively really until I see where a nominee is, just because I think each nominee has, each potential nominee has so many potential different strengths. Yeah. Um, there's some candidates that play better in the South. There were some candidates that play better in the West. There were some candidates that play better in the Midwest. Some better candidates that you know will just hop on the uh, that will be better in the northeast. Um, it just depends on who the candidate is. I think, um, but I mean, it's probably not going to look at this in a vacuum and say, okay, you should look at it go this way. I, I, I think 
one thing I say is likely is at least some of the states, like Wisconsin and Michigan, will go back to the Democrats. Um, not all of them, but I expect that, I, I especially expect Wisconsin and Michigan to flip back. Especially Wisconsin electing Governor Everett uh, and re-electing Senator Baldwin by 10 points. I think that still shows that they are civil Democratic seat at heart, but they did not like Hillary Clinton. I, I think that Michigan electing, um, electing their Democratic governor. But then again, oh, oh, Iowa. Iowa is not as Republican as Ohio yet, you know, given that they like the broad sand and three out of the four members of Congress are card now Democrats. So I think Iowa is a, a more positive state. Well, Michigan and Wisconsin, I'm going to go ahead and say those are leaning Democrat. Um, and again, I think Texas is going to be much closer to a toddler state. Um, based on the polls I've seen and based on the Democratic enthusiasm. Um, and and the Republicans, of course, going to fight hard, but I don't see that being, um, I think it's going to be definitely within reach. Um, I expect, I mean, out of anything, I definitely expect Pennsylvania to affect, especially with the landslide that the Democrats had in 2018 um, in the governor's race. I think that they are still firmly Democratic. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really see, I think the president has a hard time getting reelected just based on math um, and based on where I think electoral alliance is elected a lot because I think any candidate we put up maybe say for Cory Booker would be better than Donald Trump or would be better than Hillary Clinton in terms of performance um I'm just I'm trying to take it I'm looking at the map here but but at the same time the math didn't benefit him in 2016 either it did the the math didn't um, benefit him but I think I don't see Wisconsin and Michigan Staying blue, uh, staying red. I just don't see it. Um, given that in 2014, um, the Republicans had won the Wisconsin governor's race and had won the Michigan governor's race, had lost Pennsylvania, but that was kind of erroneous. Uh, but given the large results, especially in Michigan and Pennsylvania, I don't see, especially with Trump's approval in those states, I don't see how he holds on. Um, and those things it's possible, especially as the Democratic candidate first. Um, like if Booker's been on the knee, I think something expanded back in Minnesota and Maine. Um, like I, I do believe Booker holds them up to the most force than any we can hit. Um, I convinced of that. Um, so I think barring that it's not someone like him, I think he do very well. Um, you know, we need to take a more popular, you know, more candidates that can really appeal to the working class. That's why I think Sanders is not only my number one in terms of just likely to win, I think he, he is the best chance for flipping the seat. I mean, if you look at a lot of his proposals, while some consider them a little more radical, if you, if you pull them, they're straight dead center on the American people. I mean, most of his issues pull someone between 55 and 70 percent approval. So I think he would have a, I think he could, and I think he could, you know, he's a very good convincer. He's going to, you know, he's going and doing a town hall and talking. He knows how to appeal to conservatives while not, um, I, you know, while not um, bothering down his ideology. And I think that will be very, very helpful. Unlike Hillary Clinton, who came off the whole bunch of pressure. Um, mm. So I think that's why he is the strongest candidate, but I think there are other candidates who can, who, who can take the party to victory. Um, so. It's just going to be a long, long slog. I mean, we're going to see Iowa and New Hampshire. I think it's going to be especially important in 2020 because of how many Democratic candidates they are. 
I think it's going to win up the field down to about the 15 to 5 very quickly. Um, so by the time we're talking, by the time we're for Tuesday, we're going to be talking about the race between four or five different people, which is still much more than we're used to, but it's, ma- it's a manageable campaign at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then we're, and then eventually we'll be down to two. Uh, you know, I'm very worried. You know, I'm still very worried about the idea of a contestant, but I think it's healthy for the party to have a, have a good primary. Um, and, you know, as a Democrat, I'm quite excited about it. I think we have a lot, we have quite a few good candidates um, running. I haven't quite picked mine yet. I still have a couple of decisions to make, so I'm going to be supporting. But um, my two favorites right now are Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg with, um, with Andrew Yang uh, at number three. Um, you know, my, my my list of favorites is closely to my list of um, electability, but it's, I think. And I think that's somewhat why I pick them as my favorite, because I think they're electable, but also they have a blue line more so on the least side. Um, so I think we've got a long race ahead. I think it's going to be healthy for the party. It's going to be, it's, it's going to get nasty at times. I think at some point, it's, I think it could get way nasty than even the away primary did. Um, or the 2016 Republican primary, which wasn't that competitive, actually, though. I think it's going to be a highly competitive function that is going to kind of bring out all the different and everyone, you know, will find a candidate that find agreeable and whatever. So I think it's going to be an important race. I think, you know, definitely come after me in September or October if I think the same thing because I'm likely not going to say exactly the same thing because simply there's going to be a lot more information. We're going to see the candidates on a debate speak a couple times, which is always a big indicator. Like, I didn't have a lot of Pope and Sanders in 2016 until I saw them debate. And I realized, okay, he can be a, some, 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 uh, a good, uh, a good uh, candidate. And there he's Trump. When I saw him first at the first couple of public debates, I started to go, I went from, this is a joke to, oh, I see what he's doing, and this appeals to people. You know, so really, you see just, you know, I can see a candidate in a vacuum giving their own rally. But seeing them with the other candidates and how they react and how people perceive that reaction, that's a huge boon. Um, that really does, that, that's a Trump, I don't think, 
I don't think he would have tried to appeal. I don't. I don't think Trumpet tried to appeal the moderates as much as uh, Bush tried to appeal the social conservatives. Um, you know, that, I think you know as much people give um, the line "Read my lips." A lot of uh, a lot of a lot of issues bringing Bush down. I think it was that a lot of it was also a lot of it was the '92 convention, um, where he super appealed to religious conservatives and alien uh, alienated a lot of moderates. Actually, have a funny story. At the Democratic Convention here in Kansas, Laura um, Kelly gave a small talk to all the young Dems in a small room, and she was talking. Now, back then, in you know, in the, you know, in the eighties and early nineties, she was still a Republican. Um, she had been, um, you know, working in a military family, very conservative, um, and you know, she watched she watched the ninety-two convention on television, and she was like, "Okay, I'm done." Like she had already sort of maybe thought she, you know, maybe a Democrat. If you watch that 92 convention on TV, she's like, no, this is not my party. Um, so I think, you know, I think some way, you know, if Trump were trying to appeal, if Trump had said, okay, fine, you know, you came close, we need to appease uh, the more moderate. And so they go off and they, um, they switch to the vice president and you pick Larry Hogan for vice president and runs a very different convention. Then he ran a choice of seeing people lose. It would be the same problem as Bush. He would lose your base. Especially, you know, in 06, you know, 
they do. I'm probably the fifth in the tournament and I'm better than 08. Um, and, and I think that then they were 74 out of Watergate and they, they won 76 narrowly Jimmy Carter. So I think, and Jimmy Carter is some of the example of this because Gerald Ford was not particularly unpopular. Um, he was kind of somewhat, you know, a lot of people didn't feel this, you know, trustworthy because of the party next, but he wasn't, you know, he, um, but Jimmy Carter was able to beat him by just, you know, kind of saying, you know, let's bring normalcy back and let's sort of take the country in a new direction. And, and I think a Democrat could have been on that, but if they tried to run, if he, you know, he ran on his issue. I think we're going to need a candidate like who is, you know, very, has very clear ideas, is not trying to say he pretty much agrees to the other party, which people like Biden pretty much do. But if you have a candidate with strong convictions, but tries to market himself in a way, or herself in a way, that appeals to voters, on the other side, I think that Warren does very well, something just does very well, something Sanders does very well, and Yang does very well. All four of them do very well, as they know how to market themselves like a conservative, which is what in the country. And that's why they're all on my schedule. That's why they're my top four. Um, I think it's just, I'm excited for the race. It's going to be a long slog. It's going to be a lot easier to get predicting this as people drop out and as uh, we get more reliable phone numbers um, and you start to really see a trend. Yeah. Um, so, um... I agree with you that I think Bernie Sanders probably has the best chance of beating Donald Trump of all the Democrats, declared and rumored um, as of this point. Um, however, I do think as of right now, I would say Biden is probably the slight favorite to win the nomination, though that could change. It's a long ways away. Um, in terms of uh, the... Um, in terms of Ohio, the reason I have that as a Democratic wishlist state is because I saw a report that apparently one of the big DNC donors is thinking about focusing more time and energy uh, towards um, other states than Ohio because they're they're just not that confident in Ohio. Um, so I think if that's the case then they don't have much of a ground game in Ohio. Um, and I think it's foolish not to campaign as hard as you can in Ohio, but who knows. Um, but I'm also hearing, because here's the thing, the reason I have Michigan as lean Democratic is because I agree um, that's probably going to go back to the Democrats because Trump only won it by 11,000 votes. And it took a week for them to actually officially confirmed that Donald Trump won Michigan in 2016. However, Mich uh, Wisconsin, I think, is a little bit of a different story because Trump does have a good ground game uh, there. I think he has a good uh, ground game in Wisconsin. He's been going to, he's been holding rallies in Wisconsin a lot too. Um, but at the same time, he only won it by a point in 2016 um, and, uh, Democrats did do very well during the midterms, but for that reason, it's a toss up. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. But anyways, um, anything else you, uh, wanted to add? Not much, but I can think of. All right. Um, I just think, uh, well, one thing I do want to add. 
in the commentary, but it is a service, that to anyone who can vote, um, make sure you get registered. Because um, a lot of cities, possibly city this year, have a municipal election. So that's important. I might have my first ballot this year um, when I run uh, in the August election when we have the city primary. Um, I don't like my mayor that much, so I'm pretty excited to go vote against him. <laughs> I don't know who's running yet. Through, uh, through we'll find somebody. All right. Um, well, with that, why don't we finish up? Thank you again for joining me, Jack. No problem. Um, have a good night. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.